Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Glad to see everybody here today. Welcome. It's great to be with you in God's house as we worship God together. And I hope God's going to bless you in a very special way as we share this time of worship and praise together this morning. We welcome our guests especially. You're very important to us, and we're glad that you're here today and hope that you'll feel very much a part of our family as we worship together this morning. <clears throat> a few announcements I'd like to call to your attention. First of all, let me remind everyone of the uh, attendance uh, sheets on each row. I'd like to ask if you would to take that and fill it out as completely as you can. Uh, put your name and address and phone book, uh, phone book, your phone number on there. Not, not your whole phone book, just your phone book, just your phone number on there. Um, and check the appropriate box on there, and we would uh, appreciate that. And that's for all of our, everybody here, not just our, our guests, but uh, for our members as well. If you would do that, we would certainly appreciate it. Um, several things coming up here. You may note, notice back there on the back table, it is just loaded down with uh, cereal and Pop-Tarts and uh, breakfast bars and things like that. And the reason why, that is a part of, um, of a drive that we have started today uh, for our, our Henderson Christian Community Outreach. And our, our task today was to bring cereal and breakfast bars and uh, oatmeal and things like that. And uh, I, I get, is this our total? This is our total for today. Our total for today is 103 items. Now, this is the first. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> this is the first week of this. We're going to be doing this for four weeks. So this is the first of four weeks. And next week we'll be bringing, cere- I mean, uh, not cereal. We did that this week, didn't we? Soup and crackers. Next week we'll be bringing soup and crackers. Now, our goal, and listen to this, folks, this is a, this is a pretty worthy goal, and, a, and a, uh, it's going to stretch us a little bit. Our goal is by the end of four weeks to bring 2,000 items. Now, right now, we're only at 103. So that's good. That's a good start. But you know what? That means that we've got, we got to get behind this, okay? And I know this is the first, uh, first week. You can bring cereal next week, too, along with your, uh, uh, your soup and crackers, if you would like. But that's our emphasis for next week is soup and crackers, so I know you'll get behind this and bring a bunch of things in. And by the end of four weeks, we will have 2,000 items for Henderson Christian Outreach, and, um, and that will be a wonderful thing for, for them. So thank you so much for getting behind that. Um, our children's ministry is doing a fundraiser. Where is that? They're out front. Okay, our children's money, uh, ministry will be doing a fundraiser out in the foyer. Um, they, they'll have calendars and notepads for sale, and these are great stocking stuffers, great little gifts for Christmas. And, yeah, I know, folks, Christmas is right around the corner. You know that uh, Thanksgiving's a week and a half away? I didn't have to tell you that, did I? <laughs> it's close. It's closing in on us. And, uh, and, and so that'll be a great uh, addition to your, your gift-giving uh, list. Uh, also, on Tuesday, we'll be having our joy lunch for our senior citizens group, but it's for anybody, really. And so we invite you to come and, and uh, join us on uh, Tuesday for lunch, 12 o'clock. Bring a dish. Bring a friend. Uh, bring a friend who's a dish. I don't know. <laughs> 
hey, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, and our own Mary Rye, who's not here today. Uh, huh? She's sick. Well, I, I hope she'll be here on Tuesday. She's, she's scheduled for the program on Tuesday. And I hope she'll be here on Tuesday, and, uh, and, and that's always a, a treat. So come and join us on Tuesday for our join, Joy Lunch group. Also, I want to remind you, a week from Tuesday is the community Thanksgiving um, service. Uh, this is an ecumenical service that we do each year, and, and we've, we've hosted it here. We've been a part of it uh, as it moves around from place to place. And this year it will be at the Presbyterian Church on Tuesday, November 20th. Uh, that's the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. So go ahead and put that in your calendar, and um, and we'll uh, enjoy that time together as well as we lead up to Thanksgiving. Now, today's a special day uh, because today is Veterans Day, and we owe these men and women a, a debt of gratitude, a huge debt of gratitude for what they have done uh, in our behalf uh, all around the world. And in light of this special day, I'd like to invite uh, one of our own veterans to say a word, and that's uh, Chaplain Jerry Martin uh, from the U.S. Army. So come and speak with us for a second, Jerry. Thank you, Tim. I want to tell you about one of my heroes. Arthur Logan Richards. He was my grandfather. Grandpa Richards was called into service in the Army in 1917. He was sent to Europe in France. He told of how he arrived along the front and he saw the wounded and the dead being brought back to the rear. He said he expected, he told a friend that he expected he would be likely to be among the, that group in the next few days. He reached the front on November the 10th, 1918. Y'all think about that, November the 10th, because November the 11th, which is today, a truce was drawn and Armistice Day was established. Later on, Arthur Logan Richards was moved to Paris where he became a charter member of the American Legion. I'm proud of my hero, my grandpa. So today is Veterans Day. The day we recognize those who served in our nation's military and who still are serving. We have active duty people here today. So I'd like to ask all of the veterans, if you would, to stand. Would you stand? This includes Army, Navy, Air Force. Remain, remain standing. Remain standing. This Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and Coast Guard. You gave your time, your abilities, and your time helping our nation remain free so that we could worship freely. Pastor is going to come now. Thank you to all of you who have who have served. Thank you to all of you who have served in our armed forces. We owe a tremendous debt of gratitude 
to you for what you have done. And uh, now I would like to ask for all of the rest of the congregation to stand in honor of these servants of our country. Let us pray together. Dear Lord, today we honor our veterans, these worthy men and women who have given their best when they were called upon to serve and to protect their country. We pray that you will bless them, O Lord, for their unselfish service in the continual struggle to preserve our freedoms, our safety, and our country's heritage for all of us. Bless them abundantly for the sacrifices that they have made, for their many contributions to defending our nation and others all over the world from from tyranny and oppression, for the hardships that they faced. We respect them, we thank them, and we honor them, and we are proud of them, and we pray that you will watch over these very special people and bless them with peace and happiness. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. While you're standing, greet each other in the name of the Lord. As you are finding your seat, we'd like to invite our children to come down front for our children's moment. Miss Mary will be down here for our children's moment. So come on down, children. Come on, Miss Lily. Come on down, children. Come on, Miss Lou. Ooh, look at these pretty girls. Big group today. I love it. What's the matter, Miss Tinley? You tired? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Everybody's nine. Two. Hi, Zoe. Okay, let's talk. Uh, how many of you guys were at Upward, yet, if, upward yesterday? You were at Upward, you were at Upward, you were. Where's my hunter? Uh, okay. All right. Well, you know, we had Upward yesterday, didn't we? We had a good day. We had a fun day. We did some basketball. We did some cheerleading. 
tell me, that you guys that are, Hunter, I really need you up here, but um, when you make a basket, you guys ready to listen? Yep. Okay. When you guys make a basket, what normally happens when somebody makes a basket? What happens? You get a point, yeah, but what, what else happened? I know you did. That's why I needed you up here. Okay. But, Hunter, when you make a basket, what's everybody in the crowd do? Cheer. Woo! Yeah, yeah. And then, girls, you cheerleaders, when you go out on the floor and do a cheer, um, what, what does all the crowd do when you finish with your cheer? They go, yay, that's good. Um, you know, that's, it's great when people uh, make a basket and when we say that's great and when you cheer and we say that's great. But let me talk to you just a second about, um, you know what I think the biggest problem in the world is today? You guys have any idea? No. I think a lot of people think of only one thing themselves. Ugh. And when we only think of ourselves, can we open our minds up and think of others? Yes. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes they don't. But you know what? That's why I like coming to this church so much. You guys think about this. Okay, I need all eyes up here, and I need you guys to really think about this. If you were at Upward yesterday, I want you to think of Miss Sybil in the concession stand and all the people that work in the concession stand, like Miss Valeda and everybody that spends their entire Saturdays here. Do you think that those people doing that are thinking only of themselves? No. Do you think they might want to be home in bed instead of being here all day? No. Oh, I don't know. Sometimes. What about um, like Matt North and all the referees and like the coaches? Do you think they're thinking of themselves? No. No. They're thinking of others, right? And what about Miss Christine? Did you hear Dr. Tim say how much food came in today for Christian Outreach? What was it, Dane? Do you remember the number? I think it was 128 or something like that. Do you think that everybody that went shopping this week for food for Christian Outreach was thinking about themselves? No. No. Who are they thinking about? The hungry people. You what? You are? You're five? Um, Well, I'm 54. (laughs) Okay. All right. Let me tell you a story. Okay, you guys ready to listen to this story? Kevin, you ready? Thank you. It says, one day Jesus was asked which of the commandments was the greatest. Now, you guys, we've been studying these commandments back in children's church, right? Now, you guys look at these while I'm talking and reading this story. I'm going to ask you a question. You guys remember these? All right. He said that the most important thing was to love God with all your heart. He then added that the next most important thing was to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Jesus didn't tell us to love ourselves. He knew that we would do that without being told. But he knew that the only way we could love others as we love ourselves was when our greatest love was for God. Now, you guys, listen to that very carefully. We have to put God first before everybody else, okay? You have to love God. When we love God more than we love ourselves, then we will be able to love others as much as we love ourselves. So the most important commandment is, and we had this on one of our upward cards. You ready? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second commandment, 
that's the most important when you guys learn your commandments all the way through is to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? All right. Let's say a word of prayer real quick. And we'll, we are going to walk, 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 walk back to Children's Church. What? You get it? Okay. Well, okay. Let's say a word of prayer. What do we do when we're ready to pray? Dear Father, help us to love you with all your hearts, with all our hearts, and help us to love others as we love ourselves. In your name we pray. Amen. We're walking, walking, walking. Please join me in our responsive reading titled Gospel. It's uh, in your worship folder as well as on the screen. We believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ who comes to free the captives, heal the sick, and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. We believe in a continually caring Christ's whose example encourages us to risk ourselves for the sake of the gospel. We believe in a continually caring community called the church, which is the physical presence of Christ in the world. We believe in continually committing our lives to freedom and justice and healing, sharing our belief that God who created us calls us still. Amen.
please be seated. Our scripture reading today is from Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you were asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers, Lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrant over them. But it is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day. Father, we thank you for the people who have made this day possible. You, by your sacrifice, our men and women of the armed forces, by their sacrifices. It is said, Father, that some all gave some and some gave all. Those who gave their lives for this country, we are eternally grateful. We ask you to bless this church. We ask you to bless our mission. Bless the people of this church, those who are hurting, some we know of, Father, some only you know of. Please be with them and comfort them. Now bless the tithes and offerings that we give freely and humbly. May you make it so in your kingdom. Amen. Amen. 
Thank you, choir. You um, just continue to amaze all of us and your your ministry to us. Thank you so much for your commitment to that. It's It's been more than 20 years, but I imagine that a lot of us remember the case of the Texas cheerleading murdering mom. You remember that? Or as some have dubbed her, the pom-pom mom. It would seem, it seems that, um, Wanda Webb Holloway of Channel View, Texas, wanted her daughter, Shauna, age 13 at the time, to be chosen for the high school cheerleading squad. And her rival for this honor was a girl named Amber Heath. Well, Wanda was the organist for the local Baptist church. She was a well-respected member of the community. But that did not keep her from going to extreme measures to try to get her daughter onto that cheerleading squad. The first year, Ms. Holloway tried to have Amber, the the rival, disqualified from the competition on a technicality. And then on the second year, she showed up at school and handed out promotional pencils and rulers imprinted with the words, Shauna Harper for cheerleader. Well, this was a violation of the school rules, which got her own daughter disqualified that year. And if she had just stopped there, she would have never made the headlines, but her obsession grew deeper. You see, in 1991, Wanda Webb Holloway attempted to murder Amber Heath's mother just before the tryouts. She figured that if her mother were killed, Amber would be too grief-stricken to compete in the tryouts. And so her daughter would have a better chance of making the team. It seems that Holloway had asked her ex-brother-in-law to arrange for a hitman to perform the murder, but he went to the police instead. And he told them that, that Holloway had toyed with the idea of killing both mother and daughter, but she couldn't afford the $7,500 fee. It was then that Holloway became known as the Texas cheerleader murdering mom. She was sentenced to 10 years in prison and the School principal, James Barker, said this. He said, it's the American way. We want, we all want our children to succeed. There's probably a bit of Wanda Holloway in all of us. And that may be true, but hopefully Ms. Holloway is an extreme example of climbing the ladder of success and prominence. James and John, the disciples of Jesus, are probably more typical of of you and me than Wanda Holloway. You see, James and John had dreams. They had ambition. Jesus called them Boanerges, which means the sons of thunder. And I'm not exactly sure what that means, but my guess is that James and John were not exactly what you would call shrinking violets. There's one occasion that may give us a hint as to their personality. On this occasion, Jesus and his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem, and and Jesus sent some of his disciples uh, into a nearby Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there, the people in the village, turned them away. They rejected them. You see, they were headed for Jerusalem. And while Jerusalem was a sacred place to the Jews... It was a despised place for the Samaritans. 
And so the people of that village rejected Jesus and his disciples. And then Luke tells us that when James and John learned of this, that they had been rejected by the people in the village, they asked Jesus, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? That seems a bit extreme, don't you think? Well, apparently Jesus thought so too. He rebuked James and John for this extreme reaction to rejection, but but this may be an indication as to why Jesus called them sons of thunder. Now, James and John had been fishermen before they started following Jesus, which means that they were probably strong and courageous men. Fishing was not a sport to them. I know a lot of you are, are fishermen and fisherwomen, and you like to go out to the, to the lake or the river and throw your line out there. Well, this was not a sport for these men. This was their livelihood. And as, as recent television programs have shown us, it can be a very dangerous way to make a living. So this was not easy for them. They were tough guys. These were tough men. They were also among the first disciples to follow Jesus. And they were closer to Jesus than any of the other disciples, with the possible exception of Simon Peter. In fact, the three of them, Peter and James and John, formed the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. They were mentioned on five separate occasions of uh, as accompanying Jesus for significant events when all of the other disciples were not present. None of the other disciples were present. For example, they were the only witnesses to the raising of Jairus' daughter in Matthew 9. And and they were the only ones chosen to, to go up onto the mountain of transfiguration with Jesus, where Jesus was shown to be in the company of Moses and Elijah, and he was transfigured into a, a, a glowing figure. Later, they were with Jesus. All of the disciples were in the Garden of Gethsemane, but James, Peter and James and John went deeper into the, into the uh, garden with Jesus. And they were nearby when the soldiers took him to be tried and crucified. So they were kind of the, the inner circle of Jesus' disciple. And, and, and maybe it was because of their status as part of Jesus' inner circle that caused them to be Maybe a little bit proud. And maybe it emboldened them to make this special request of the Lord. Since they were a part of the inner circle, surely they thought that that Jesus would look favorably upon their request. And so they said, teacher, we want you to do us a favor. (laughs) Uh oh. Have you ever had anybody come up to you with, uh, and, and lead with those words? Hey, I want you to do me a favor. You ever had anybody do that? Watch out. <laughs> Watch out when that happens. That's usually a good time to turn around and run because there's usually something big on the back end of that. So Jesus probably, he, he probably let out a sigh and he answered, Okay, what do you want? And they said, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand when you come into your glory. Now, they were still thinking in terms of an earthly kingdom, and they were thinking that Jesus would follow the the expected role that most people had of the Messiah, which meant, as the people thought, that they would soon be raising an army, 
They would be throwing the hated Romans out of the country and Jesus would be installed as the king of Israel. And they wanted to share in the glory of Jesus's ascension into prominence. They wanted to ride Jesus's coattails. And just Jesus may have anticipated this request, but at the same time, I'm I think he was probably a bit disappointed that James and John would would make this request. And so he said to them, you don't know what you're asking. And I think by saying that he, he was saying to them, you don't understand what's going on. And he said, can you drink from the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said, sure, we can. Yeah, we can do that. They still didn't understand. And I'm sure their answer was sincere because they were both quality individuals and they didn't always understand Jesus. But let me tell you something, folks, they were loyal. They were loyal to Jesus, even though they didn't understand him most of the time. And Jesus knew that. In fact, after Jesus's resurrection and ascension, when Herod wanted to send a message to the church, he did it by having James beheaded. He was the first of the disciples to die a martyr's death. On the other hand, John probably lived a full life. But remember, it was John who Jesus turned to while he was on the cross and he entrusted the care of his mother to John. And that shows that he had confidence in this one who is often called the beloved disciple. And that's probably why Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup that I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit on my right or my left is not for me to grant. Now, it's important to to note that Jesus did not chastise them for their ambition. They were misguided, but he did appreciate their drive, their courage. But the rest of the disciples, they weren't so understanding (laughs) Because when they got wind of this conversation, when they got wind of, of James and John making an appeal to Jesus to be number two and number three, they got a little ticked off. But Jesus turned this into a teaching moment. And he called all the disciples together and he said to them, you know that, that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles... They lord it all over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. They are tyrants over them. But that's not the way it is with us. We're different from that. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first of all must be the, the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, we we all would like to be number one, wouldn't we? We'd all like to be number one. We want it for ourselves. And and, and for those of us who are parents, we want it for our, our children as well. Uh, There was an article in the Associated Press not too long ago about a pregnant woman in West Palm Beach, Florida. And the reason she made the news is that she asked 
her doctors to induce labor six days early. You know why? So that she could uh, so that her, her son could beat the September the 1st enrollment deadline for kindergarten five years later. Five years away. Now, that's planning, isn't it? When the mother realized that six more days in the womb for her son could mean an extra year of preschool, she told her doctor to give nature a little push. And we can understand that. I mean, we live in a competitive world, don't we? We all, we've been there. We live in a competitive world. That's the nature of our society. They're not playing football games all over the nation every weekend just for the exercise. And these politicians haven't been invading our homes with their TV commercials and their phone calls and their flyers and their knocks on the doors just for the fun of it. No. They wanted to win. Because winning is important to them. Winning is important for us. Prestige. Pride. We've all been there. I heard about two archaeologists one from Greece and the other was from Egypt, and they were arguing with, one, with each other about which one came from the most advanced ancient civilization. And both of these cultures have, have wonderful history, and they were advanced in their ancient days. And so the Greek, the Greek uh, bragged that it was obvious that his country was more advanced. He said, while we were digging in Corinth, we found copper wires buried beneath the village, which proves that we already had telephone wires in the 6th century B.C. To which the Egyptian replied, well, we dug under a village that dates back further than that, and we found no wires, which proves that we had already gone wireless. <laughs> Folks, competition is all around us. Countries want to be number one. Colleges want to be number one. Individual people want to be number one. That's one of the most natural instincts that, that God has given to us. You may remember the, the song from uh, the Broadway musical, Annie, Get Your Gun. Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. And the retort was, no, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Fact is, we live in a competitive world. Companies compete. Colleges compete. Hospitals compete. Individuals compete. And folks, we turn all kinds of things into competitions. Have you noticed that? Back in 2002, German citizens celebrated the first ever extreme ironing competition. I'm not kidding, folks. And they've continued this every year since then. I'm not making this up. The Extreme Ironing World Championship. The goal of this extreme competition is to perform this mundane task of ironing clothes, but in extreme locations under extreme conditions. They have forest ironing and underwater ironing and rocky ironing and urban ironing and freestyle ironing. Participants can iron, uh, can bring their iron and an ironing board and a piece of clothing and to various locations, and then they're timed on how long it takes them to successfully iron their particular piece of clothing under these extreme conditions. Go figure. Wow. 
We live in a competitive world. That's not all bad. You see, the desire to get ahead has driven a lot of people to live productive lives. In fact, our capitalistic society is based on a healthy level of competition. Bill Gates and Steve Jobs are very competitive. Steve Jobs passed away last year, but um, they're both very competitive. And that's why we have two of the greatest technology corporations in the world. And that's why we enjoy many innovative products. And we all do. I like this next picture of Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. Bill Gates, I don't know if you can see that. Bill Gates says, I went to the bank to, to talk about a loan. And Steve Jobs asks, why do you need a loan? And Gates says, I don't, the bank does. You know, competition and ambition, that's one reason that Bill Gates and Steve Jobs have a lot of money. And, you know, there, there are a lot of people who have made major contributions to our society primarily because they are hard-driving, ambitious people. And some of those who have a lot of money do good things with them. Steve Gates and his foundation. Do you know that, that they, along with the... The Internet, Rotary International Club are about this close from ex- eradicating polio from the face of the earth. Been working on it for about 20 years, but because of their money and their, and their work towards this, it's almost gone. Last year, there were about 640 cases of polio worldwide. As of yesterday, there were 181. We just got two more months for this year. It's getting there. And I think within a year or two, polio's gone. Thanks to people like Steve Gates. And I don't think God wants to, to strip us of our ambition. Now, blind ambition can be destructive. But you know something? Ambition that is under the control of God can be used in a powerful way. So if you really want to be number one, says Jesus... Here's the thing. Be number one at serving God and serving your neighbor. You want to be number one? That's what you need to be number one at. Be number one at serving God and serving your neighbor. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, he says. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of everyone else. For the Son of God, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Max Lucado tells about some people in his congregation that he calls the Society of the Second Mile. Listen as he describes one of the Second Mile servants. He says, by profession, he's an architect. By passion, he's a servant. He arrives an hour or so each before each worship service and makes his rounds through the men's restrooms. He wipes down the sinks, he cleans the mirrors, he checks the toilets, he picks up paper off the floor. Nobody asks him to do this. In fact, very few people even know that he does it. He doesn't tell anybody. He requests nothing in return. He belongs to the society of the second mile. Another second miler serves in our children's ministry, he writes. She creates crafts and 
take-home gifts for four-year-olds. And, but completing the craft is, is not enough. She has to give it that second-mile touch. When her class followed the, the theme, Walking in the Steps of Jesus, she made cookies in the shape of feet. And in a second-mile fashion, she painted toenails on each one. What an ambitious undertaking that was. Dozens and dozens of cookies, and she painted little toenails on each one of them. You know what? We have ambitious servants like that in our church too, don't we? As a matter of fact, we've got a lot of them. For our small church, we've got a lot, a lot of people who are second-mile society Christians. And they are achievement oriented people, though they probably would not call themselves that. Because you see, the, the achievements that they seek to accomplish grow out of their desire to serve. And of course, they serve because Jesus first served them. I like the way Bishop Fulton Sheen once put it. He said, our Lord is not a superstar. He was a super scar. He showed his disciples his feet and his side. And he told them, as my father sent me, so I send you. My friends, Jesus does want us to be number one. He wants us to serve our community and our world like no other church. And like no other community service organization has ever served. And if we can do that, then we will look over our lives with no regrets, but only satisfaction. Somebody once put it like this. They said, life is a lot like tennis. Those who don't serve well end up losing. <laughs> and you know, it's true. It's all right to be ambitious. But make sure you're ambitious for the right things. Be number one at serving God and serving your neighbor. Because, folks, if you do that, you'll never come to the end of your life and say, what a waste. And neither will the Master say to you, what a waste. Instead, He will say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Well done. Amen. We're going to sing today, number 471, Jesus, I, my cross, have taken. And there may be someone here today who needs to make a commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ. And by doing this, it is a commitment. It's, it's not just accepting what God has, has for us. It is that. It's accepting what Christ has for us. But that's only the first step. It is also committing our lives to follow in the steps of Jesus. And that means to commit our lives, as Mary was saying, not to look at ourselves first, but to look at others first. To look at God first. To serve our Lord, our God, with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength and mind. And to serve our neighbor as we serve ourselves. That, my friends, is the gospel in a nutshell.
And that's what it means. And so I'm inviting you today to do two things. I'm inviting you to stand up and say, I love the Lord my God with all my heart and all my soul and strength and mind. And I'm committing myself to that today. And I'm committing myself to love my neighbor as I love myself. Because that's the way that Jesus has led us to live. So if God is leading you to do that today, we invite you to come forward as we sing our hymn of invitation. Or maybe you're looking for a church home to be a part of. We invite you to come and join us here. Or maybe you need a time of prayer. I'll be glad to pray with you. And we invite you to come as we sing together, number 471, Jesus, I, my cross, have taken. Would you come? Let us go from here strengthened in our inner being. Let us be established in love so that everyone we meet may be touched by Christ's love as you serve one another in the humility and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.